This is the podcast for RUF at Wake Forest. RUF exists for the convinced and the unconvinced, the lost and the found, the burned and the bored, the cynical and the spiritual. Whoever you are and whatever your story, RUF exists for you. For more information, check out our Instagram at RUF Wake Forest. Now, here's today's teaching. So yesterday I was uh, listening to music, as one does, and was listening to this song by Bleachers called I Want to Get Better. Uh, It's a great song. It's even better music video. And the video begins with this breakup. Uh, The location, it's an apartment complex. Looks like it's probably L.A. And it starts with this girlfriend walking out of the apartment, and she has her birdcage with her parakeets in it and a lamp and a hat box. And she's walking out, and the boyfriend, we learned his name is Jack, and he stops her and he says, wait, you don't need to leave. And she responds, if you could even begin to examine yourself the way you examine everyone else. We learned later that he's a, um, a therapist. If you could even begin to examine yourself the way you examine everyone else. If you could be that analytical, no, that judgmental, then maybe we could get somewhere. And so she leaves, and the video follows Jack to work. We learned that Jack's a therapist. And the lyrics of the song are in the mouths of the people who sit on his couch. Um, and here's what some of, them, some of the lyrics say. It says, I didn't know I was broken until I wanted to change. I woke up this morning early before my family from this dream that she was trying to show me how a life can move from a darkness, and she said, to get better. So I put a bullet where I should have put a helmet, and I crash a car because I want to get carried away. I want to get better. I didn't know I was broken until I wanted to change. I didn't know I was broken until I wanted to change. And this song articulates for us this longing that we all have, this longing deep within us for transformation. And if we pause, if we pause and we step back from the busyness, away from the distractions, away from the demands of school and relationships and social media, all the things that clamor for our attention, if we pause, when we're still, we feel this longing, this this longing for transformation. Like how, however you put it, like to get to a higher plane or self-actualize, however you put it, something that we all want. Um, Vampire Weekend sings, I don't want to live like this, but I don't want to die. Right? We want to get better. We want to change. And here in the passage that we're going to read tonight, um, Jesus is saying that he can change your life, that he can give you the transformation that you long for. And he says that the transformation that you long for, that we all long for, comes from receiving the seed of his word deep, deep into your heart. Um, So we're going to read tonight from Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Um, So where we are in Mark's gospel, um, up until this point, he's done some teaching, and he's done some miracles, and last week we read um, from chapter 2, where he forgives this man's sin and makes this claim that he is God, for God alone can forgive sin. Um, and then we have him healing in a synagogue and people are following him. And here in this passage, he, he steps away and he steps out into a boat um, and the boat's in the water and there's this great crowd of people on the hillside and he's teaching them. And so we're going to read this. This is God's word for us tonight. It is trustworthy and true and he gives, gives it to us in love. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him. So he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, like, it's like, this is really strong, like, listen up, y'all. Behold, a sower went out to sow. 
And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and when the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything's in parables, so that they may see indeed, but not perceive, that they may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is a very difficult passage. It's it's confusing. It's confounding. Um, I read lots of pastors and writers on this, was helped by many of them, especially in what I'm going to share with you tonight, especially by Tim Keller on his teaching on this parable. And this is what I want you to hear tonight. We all want to get better. We all want to change. And the transformation that Jesus offers you is organic, not mechanical. And it comes in weakness, not in strength. So first, it's organic and not mechanical. So how many times a week do you type into your search bar, how do I dot, dot, dot? Um, I even did it last night. I've been frustrated with myself for not waking up early and having a good morning routine. So I Googled how do I set a good morning routine? And lots of things popped up. Lots of people wanted to give me advice. Lifehacker wanted to give me advice. Inside, Self Magazine wanted to give me advice. Everyone's got an opinion on how I can change. And we do this all the time, right? And when we do this, we are looking for mechanical change. We see a problem in ourselves, something we want to change, and we look to a solution, something that I can do to change myself. Whether it's a new morning routine or a new exercise routine or a new outfit or a new study habits or a new set of morals or new technology, whatever it is, we're looking to change or to grow mechanically. So what do I mean when I say mechanically or mechanical change? Mechanical change is like um, stacking a pile of bricks, right? You can add bricks to the pile. The pile can grow, but it's only as you stack one brick on top of the other brick. It can get bigger. You can stack them in different shapes. You can paint the bricks pretty colors. You can decorate them with stickers. You can do whatever you want with this pile of bricks. But I want you to think about the difference between a pile of bricks and a seed. When you plant a seed in good soil and you water it and it gets sunshine and you watch it grow, it grows an entirely different way. Its growth is organic, not mechanical. As a plant grows, it grows in irreducibly or irreducible complexity and beauty. Right? From a grape seed, you get the gift of wine. From a grain of wheat, 
you get the miracle of bread. From a magnolia seed pod, you get the magnificent trees on the lower quad. From a rose seed, you get the sweetest smelling fragrance imaginable. All of that from a seed. Now, don't get me wrong. Mechanical change is real change, but it's only change on the outside, right? You can pile up those bricks, paint them, make them pretty, but they're still just a pile of bricks. Whereas when a seed is planted and grows, it grows and it changes from the inside out irreducibly complex, unimaginably beautiful. Right? Looking at a seed, you would have no idea what it could produce. And Jesus is saying that this is how he brings change. That when you take his word, the gospel, deep into your heart, it brings this kind of change. The change, the, the transformation that Jesus brings through his word, the gospel, is a change that actually transforms you inside out. And here's what he's saying. He's saying that in order for you to be transformed, real transformation, real transformation is organic growth. And you need to take this seed, the message of his gospel, deep into your heart. And so in this parable, Jesus says that there are four types of soil that receive the word. Three of them don't take the seed deep down, so they don't experience transformation. Only one soil receives the seed deep, deep down, and that seed is the one that experiences this super abundant, super natural organic growth, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. So the first seed falls to the ground, and it doesn't even go into the ground. The second seed falls on rocky soil. It doesn't go down deep enough so that when it does shoot up and the scorching sun comes, it withers and dies. And then the third seed goes down deep into the soil, but the seed of the weeds and the thorns go just as deep as the good seed. So when they grow up, they're choked out. It's only the fourth seed is the one that goes deep, deep into the soil and and bears this supernatural organic fruit from the inside out. And Jesus is saying that these four soils represent the four ways to receive his word. And this passage is really difficult. I mean, what what is Jesus saying here? Is he pronouncing judgment on people? How am I supposed to hear this? Am I supposed to say, well, what type of soil am I? Like, what is going on? Um, here's what Jesus is doing. He's actually doing something meta. Um, he's preaching a parable to four different types of people about happens when his word goes out to those four different types of people. So what he's talking about is actively happening while he's preaching. Each of these four soils corresponds with people that he has interacted with so far in Mark's gospel. So the seed that falls on the path is like the Pharisees and the scribes, these religious leaders that when they hear Jesus, they immediately reject him and want to kill him. The seed that falls on rocky soil are the crowds, these crowds of people that gather around who are gathered around Jesus because they want to see him do a miracle. They gather near to Jesus because of what they think they can get from Jesus. These are those who are coming to Jesus on their own terms, trying to get a spiritual high from him before going back to their normal lives. They want Jesus for their sake, not for his sake. And Jesus is saying here that if you want, if you come to him wanting mechanical change, mechanical growth, if you're coming to him just to fix your life, that maybe if you did something spiritual or got a weekly hit of Christianity at RUF or a church, then your life would be better. If you treat Jesus like another brick on your pile of bricks, if you come to him on your terms, then you're actually not going to experience the transformation that you long for because you're not taking the seed of the gospel deep down enough. And then we've got the seed that falls among the weeds and the thorns. And this is Jesus' family. The passage right before this that we didn't read in chapter 3, 
um, is the story of Jesus' family getting embarrassed by him. They're concerned that Jesus is ruining the family reputation, and so they, they're like, they try to rein him in. Like, Jesus, you're, you're a little bit out there. Come home. Stop doing the teaching and healing thing. Come home. Like, it's, it's making us uncomfortable. Jesus says no to them because he refuses to be co-opted by anyone for their agenda or reputation. And again, this is what he's saying. He's saying, if your love for the world and for money equals your love for Jesus, then you're not going to experience the supernatural transformation you long for. Jesus is saying that the only way that you'll actually change, the only way that you and I will actually experience organic transformation is by taking the word of his gospel deep, deep into our hearts and let it do the work of changing us from the inside out. And then we've got these, these difficult verses in 10 through 12, which I'm sure is troubling for some of you. It's challenging. This is where he's quoting the prophet Isaiah, and it sounds like Jesus is saying that he doesn't want some people to come to him. I don't, I don't think that's what's going on. Here's what I think is going on. I think, um, so Jesus often taught in parables, and parables serve like a filter for his audience. Like, parables are confounding on purpose. Still, when I read parables, when I read this um, last week when I started preparing, my first response was confusion. Always confusion, my first response. Why is that? This is Jesus' intention. Because when we're confounded by Jesus' teaching, it puts us at a crossroads. We can either walk away confused or we can draw near. And that's what Jesus is doing here. The, the obscurity of the parables from the outside is an invitation from Jesus to draw near, to enter into relationship with him and learn from him, to have him open the parables to us so that we can understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. The reason that Jesus says, seeing they don't perceive, hearing they don't understand, lest they turn and be forgiven, here's what he's saying. He's saying, Jesus is saying that you cannot have forgiveness from me apart from me. You can't have the benefits of my life without taking the seed of my gospel deep, deep down into your heart. Jesus refuses to let you tokenize him, to have him on your terms. He will only let you have him on his terms. And these are his terms taking the word of his gospel deep, deep down into your heart and into your mind. All right, so what does it look like? What does it look like to receive the seed deep, deep down into your heart? How does that bring real transformation? Um, James 1.21 says, Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And then 1 Peter 1.23 says, You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The seed, Scripture is saying, is the good news of the gospel. This, the good news, the announcement of Jesus Christ and his work for you. That he lived the perfect life that you should have lived and that he died the death that you deserve. So that by faith you can enter into his kingdom and have eternal life. And Jesus is saying that only comes through him. And it's when you take this message deep, deep down into your heart and into your mind that transformation happens. So how do you do that? How do you take the word deep, deep down into your heart? Um, so when I was little, my grandmother, I'm sure many grandmothers do this, she always had cough drops. 
and she'd give them to me and I'd unwrap these little cough drops and roll it and put it in my mouth and roll it around in my mouth until my mouth was like pulsating with cherry menthol. Does anyone else have this childhood memory? Jesus is saying that that's what we're to do with the word. That we're to read the word and meditate on it and store it up to talk about it, think about it, pray through it, memorize it, and then do it again. And that's why, this is why we have large group and why we do small groups and why we do common prayer and why we want you to go to church so that you have lots of opportunities to take this life-giving word deep into your hearts and your minds. So let's apply this. What does this look like in practice? What does organic versus mechanical change actually look like in practice? So I got a text from one of you yesterday saying that the new U.S. News and World Reports rankings came out. And of course, I know all of you know this. And you all know that Wake Forest is ranked 28. See, I knew you knew it. And that it's tied with other schools. Chapel Hill and Florida. Right? Okay. Here's, Here's how I'm guessing you reasoned this out. Here's how I'm guessing you reasoned this out. When you saw that, here's what I'm guessing happened. I'm guessing you said, oh, okay, maybe, maybe we're equal with Chapel Hill, but Florida? I didn't even apply to Florida, right? So what's going on in your heart when that happens? What's going on in your heart when happens? What you're doing, what we, I do this too. Tulane is 40-something. I know, I know. Okay. Here's what's going on when you do this in your hearts. What's going on is that you are measuring your worth, your value, based on your relationship with Wake Forest and its standing in comparison with other schools. And this reveals something really interesting about us, that we see others as competition. We see other people as our competition. And this makes, this makes or we make sense of our own value, therefore, in relation to other people. Do you see how insecure this identity is? I mean, think about where you focus your time and attention. Building, and this is just the water that you swim in. Building my resume, getting the best possible job for me, getting to the best possible grad school. Um, this is why there is a citywide babysitter shortage during exam time. Because everyone is, it's true, everyone is focused on their time and what they need to accomplish for themselves. So the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in Philippi. And in this letter, in Philippians 2.3, he says this. He says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Paul does not qualify. He says all others, even people who go to Chapel Hill and Florida. All right, so how do you do this? How do you count others more significant than yourselves, especially when you believe deep down that you're better than other people? right? Like, how do you do this? Now, mechanical growth says that the way that you do this is you hear, you go, oh man, I got to stop doing this. And so you, you muster up whatever's inside of you to, to give forth the effort, right? It's an effort-based thing. Let me, let me work at it. Um, but it, what ends up happening is that you end, end up just despising the person that you're trying to serve. Let me apply this to myself. Um, as you know, Mary Clark and I have three kids, And with three small children comes lots of chores. There's lots of laundry and lots of dirty dishes and lots of messes to clean up and tidy. And when I get home from work at the end of the day, I'm tired. And when I see the pile of laundry or of dirty dishes or the small pieces of paper that George cut up 
all day long, scattered throughout the house, I have a choice. See, often when I get home, I consider myself more important than everyone else in my family. So I collapse on the couch and I don't help out. And then Mary Clark is stuck with the dishes and the laundry and the messes and a prideful husband who won't lift a finger to help her. And then she calls me out. This is hypothetical, of course. Say that. But then she calls me out on it. So what should I do? What should I do? I've got two options. First, I can look at the mess and the laundry and the dishes and look at Mary Clark and say, fine, I'll help. And just resolve to help her. Put it on my to-do list and just bear down and start working. But here's the thing. When I do that, resentment starts to grow in my heart. I resent my kids for wearing so many clothes and getting them dirty. I resent Mary Clark for cooking delicious dinners and getting pots and pans dirty when she cooks. And I resent George for learning to be creative and having a beautiful imagination. (laughs) See, when I resolve to help her, when it's a resolve thing, it's all mechanical. I'm just stacking the bricks with no heart change. And so the house looks clean, The dishes are washed, the laundry is folded, and my heart has grown bitter towards the people God has given me to love and serve. Now, the other option is to finish out what Paul said in his letter to the Philippians. This is what he said in Philippians 2. He writes, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And then he says, have the mind of Christ Jesus among you, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. He continues and says, Therefore God has exalted him to the highest place, given him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying that we're to count others as more significant than us because Jesus counted us more significant than himself. This is the logic of the gospel. Jesus took the lowest possible place by going to the cross for you. And when you take this truth, the gospel, this seed, deep, deep down into your heart, it begins to transform you. It begins to transform me so that when I come home and I do dishes and I do laundry and I pick up thousands of little pieces of paper all over my house, I can actually do it with joy in my heart. Deep gratitude for this is how Jesus served me and deep gratitude for the people who made these messes and wore these clothes and prepared this food. I can see them not as obstacles to my satisfaction, but as objects of my love and service because Jesus did the same for me. I want you to apply this to yourselves for a minute. Think about your roommates. Whether they are, I heard a groan, whether they are... Whether they're neat freaks, whether your roommate's a neat freak, or or your roommate lives in a state of filthy mess constantly. Um, I want you to think with me for a moment. Think with me for a moment how you relate to your space, the space of your dorm room or your house. Whether you're the messy one or your roommate's the messy one. Think about how you relate. Do you consider them more significant than yourself? I know, right? Friends, Jesus calls you to consider them more significant than yourself because he did the same for you, infinitely more for you 
And when you take this good news deep, deep down into your heart, it will transform you organically with irreducible complexity and beauty and wisdom. And it does this because the word comes in weakness, not in strength. I just want us to think about what a seed is for a moment. Um, Let's consider the acorns, the acorns that have started to fall on campus. Uh, Falling from the oak trees, you can hear them crunch under your feet as you walk to class or as the squirrels nibble on them and drop them on you, which happened to me today. (laughs) The seeds are, are tiny. They're so crushable. And Jesus is saying this is what the kingdom of God is like. We think that true change comes and transformation will come through strength and domination. And Jesus says, no, it comes through weakness. I mean, think about acorns. You can crush them under your feet and a single acorn contains the power to cover the entire face of the earth in wood. Think about this. One, one acorn grows into an oak tree and then that oak, one oak tree will produce, a mature oak, oak tree will produce on average 2,000 acorns per year which could become 2,000 trees, each which produce, produce 2,000 acorns a year, exponential growth, and exponential growth, all from one small acorn, all of that genetic potential in one acorn. And that single acorn has that power and you can crush it under your foot. Romans 1.16, Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Not the gospel is about the power of God, not the gospel has the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. This word power is this word um, dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. It's this explosive power that can transform your life organically, not mechanically, from the inside out. And it comes in weakness, not in strength. Jesus uses a seed as his metaphor, right? Not a sword, not a hammer, but a seed. And think about how you plant a seed. Like you don't get out a jackhammer. You don't spike seeds like a football, right? It's gentle. Like I remember in elementary school, I don't know if you did this, being given a little cup with a little bit of dirt and a little seed that you put in there and you put it in your kitchen window and watched it grow. And do you remember if you did this, do you remember how you put the seed into the, the soil in the cup? It was gently pressed it down with one finger. This is how God works in you. He applies his word to your heart with all gentleness and meekness. He doesn't spike it on you. He doesn't use a jackhammer, but he gently plants his seed again and again. This is why James, which we read earlier, says to receive the word with all meekness, with all humility. It's given to us gently and it's received gently. Why? Because this is the character of Jesus. When Jesus sees you and all the things that you want to change about yourself, He doesn't salivate about getting out his jackhammer. He's not lifting weights to be able to spike the gospel on you. Hebrews 5.2 says, He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. That's us. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself was beset with weakness. Friends, this is the mystery of God's supernatural organic transformation. Jesus wants to change your life, and he does it gently. He became weak for you, and in his weakness, he died for you. My friend Chris Horn likes to say that when you plant a seed, it looks a lot like a funeral. I mean, think about it. You lean over the ground, you open up the earth, you put in a dead body, then you cover the earth back up. John 12, Jesus says, unless a seed falls to the earth and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. And the same is true for Jesus. Jesus. 
The power of the resurrection comes through the cross. There is no resurrection without death, no power without weakness. The night before Jesus died, he went to a garden to pray, and he was so overcome with agony as he prayed, asking God if there was any other way. He was so in agony that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. He went to the cross in weakness. And then on the cross, not in a display of strength and might, but meekness and weakness and humility and love, Jesus gave his life for yours. Friends, Jesus is the king. His kingdom is coming like a sower sowing seeds. He wants to change your life. And the change he brings is organic, not mechanical. It comes in weakness, not in strength. And when you receive his word deep, deep down into your heart and in your mind, it supernaturally produces fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. This is an invitation from the king. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us tonight. Um, Lord, thank you, Jesus, that you speak to us in parables, and uh, we confess how confusing they are to us. Um, But we thank you that when we draw near to you and we receive them from you, you bring us clarity. Lord, I pray for my friends tonight as they hear this word, would you help them to receive the word deep into their hearts, that you would produce fruit in them to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.